The, the, the software here is so important. There's someone out there is going to tell you, no matter what, the Linux kernel will be taken care of because humans, there'll be zombies tomorrow if the Linux kernel didn't work, right? But we could also do it in a way that's really fun and good for people. Hi, welcome to the Open at Intel podcast. I'm Catherine Druckmann, an open source evangelist here at Intel. My colleague Chris Norman and I went cloud native with George Castro, a developer advocate at the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. We completely nerded out on taking the desktop cloud native, open source community sustainability, and more. Enjoy, and please join us again for more important open source conversations. You can find more from the team at open.intel at open.intel.com and at open.intel on Twitter. Hey, so I'm talking today to my favorite coworker. His name is Chris Norman. And hello. hello and he's very cloudy. And we are joined by our new friend, George Castro. And if you are working anywhere in the cloud native landscape, if you're working with Kubernetes, if you've even heard of containers, you probably know who George is. I'm going to say that. So I'm very excited about this conversation for a lot of reasons, but one of them is because we have mutual friends who happen to be some of my favorite people. So I have very high hopes. And so I think, I think everyone listening is going to, really I'll try not this. to let you down. I know. And we are going to nerd out. This is going to be really good. I cannot I wait. I know I've like built it up now. And we're going to talk about Linux know. for like six hours. I think, I think we should. Is that what we're doing yeah, today? Actually. Yeah. yeah, we are. I think the rest of the clear, clear your calendar, everyone. Um, yeah. So, so, Okay. First of all, just uh, introduce yourself just just a minute, so so that people can get a, a a picture in case for that like one person who's listening who doesn't know who you are. Sure. So uh, I'm George Castro. I am a community manager, currently finishing up a sabbatical, and I've been fortunate enough to work in open source uh, for a long time. I've worked on Ubuntu. I've worked on Kubernetes, Kubeflow, and Cloud Custodian, and a bunch of affiliated projects around the CNCF uh, cloud native landscape, I guess. And that enormous diagram that we've all seen. And yeah. And just kind never of never ending landscape, you know, doing what everyone else is doing and seeing, seeing the explosion of open source and doing, doing what you can to help, you know, move that forward, ensure that the next generation is, is all set to go and uh, just enjoy the technology that we all get to like play with. Every day. Yeah, can you believe we, this is our job, right? I know. <laughs> I love it. I love what you said about um, about the next generation, and, and we'll, we'll definitely get to that. But uh, the one thing that I wanted to to make sure we 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 get in there is a conversation about an immutable Linux distribution that you work on, commonly known as immutable. We can talk about that word later. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, a container. I, I also like to call Na it naming things is so hard. <laughs> I know, right? It, it really is. Naming things is the maybe the hardest thing in, in engineering. Uh, but it is called Universal Blue. You can find it at ublue.it, which is, I think, charming. You blew it. Um, yeah, you're supposed <laughs> to point at your laptop and be like, it's time that you blew it. Yeah, there you go. So tell us a little bit about it. How, how, and, you know, how does all this work? What's sure. cool about this? Sure. So uh, to back it up a little bit, I have, I've always been into uh, desktop Linux and all that kind of stuff. I've always, you know, used GNOME and Ubuntu back in the day. I was very fortunate to meet a lot of people that worked in client and, and things like that. And going through kind of, 
I don't know, before, before 2010, you know, when people were investing in the Linux desktop earlier and almost over 20 years ago, and then kind of took a detour to Cloudland and uh, always still kind of used a Linux desktop and things like that. But in cloud, I've always found it interesting where cloud dominates the computing. Linux just dominates the computing industry, right? Like we don't, you can't have a modern world with mobile and all that stuff unless there's apps running to do all that stuff. I've always thought it was kind of interesting that client has never really quite seen that success outside of mobile, you know, and Mm -hmm. a few use cases by a vendor. And I've always thought it was very strange uh, because it's the same powerful technology and it just never quite, you know, never quite got there. And this has always bothered me. <laughs> and I was at KubeCon in Detroit and I was meeting up with Colin Walters who works on Fedora's CoreOS team. And he had been a Debian developer for a long time. And he's for a long time, he's working on a technology called OS tree, which is a Git-like structure where you shove the OS in there. That's going to be the extent of my technical knowledge, uh, my community manager. And, um, he talked to me. He was like, Hey, uh, and it was always weird, right? It was like that weird thing that you didn't understand, but you, your positives, it was useful for someone somewhere. And, uh, when we had breakfast, he was like, I shoved, I shoved the whole operating system in there. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> he goes, no, no. I mean, I shoved the whole OS tree and everything into an OCI container, like a Docker container. Uh, I was like, can you, can you repeat what mean? you just said? What's that mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and in the server and cloud use case, it, it immediately uh, became apparent. And I think that that community is going to run with it, right? It's the concept of being able to derive your operating system using common OCI tools that you use today. So imagine if you were to make your perfect server operating system, if you could say from CoreOS, right? And then do all the things in the Docker file for things that you want on that operating system, including using all the existing tools that you have. And then at the end, you type podman build. And then an OCI container comes out. Then you push that to a registry. And then you boot your the metal off of it, right? And then you have the same model that cloud developers are using to build applications that they deploy on Kubernetes and all of the stuff that's happening but now we can do that at the operating system level in a way that's consumable with tools that have been around. Uh, Kubernetes celebrated its 10th birthday yesterday. Um, wow. So I, immediately <laughs> I was like, well, the server nerds are going to love this. And having mm-hmm. ties with the Kubernetes folks at SIG Cluster Lifecycle, Cluster API folks, uh, you know, as they started to see this, everyone was kind of like, wow, yeah. I could totally see, I was just talking to someone with a vendor who was like, well, sometimes we get Intel NICs that are a little, they're not supported in the kernel yet. And we might have to do these, these little tweaks and things like that. I was like, well, what if you could just from your existing distro, do the business that you need to do to get it to work. And as long as the image builds, you know, the machine is going to work. Could that actually work? And, um, before we left, Colin leaned over. He goes, I don't have time to work on any of this, but I'm running my entire uh, laptop out of GitHub because GitHub offers Git hosting 
actions and a registry. So I sat there and I kind of thought about it for a little bit. And I said, could, could this actually work? What if we can take a bunch of SRE nerds who aren't distro folks and we can kind of, what if I can make my perfect desktop, right? But build it in the same way that I'm building and deploying my apps on Kubernetes and stuff. It would solve a lot of problems, I think. But at the time, I didn't think about that because I'm a nerd and I went immediately <laughs> to my home lab, right? Mm -hmm. I've got, I got a stack of Nux just like everybody else. And uh, I got to work and I started to shop it around with friends. And it's important, I want to mention that many of them do not run Linux desktops, right? They're just cloud nerds. And because right. the tooling is common, they didn't need to, I didn't need to convince them to go install Linux on their laptop. They could just help me script out some things. So what we do is we grab Fedora, which publishes their images now as OCI in, in test. This isn't in production yet for them. They're going to do this probably in Fedora 39, which is next cycle. And I said, couldn't we just ingest all of these images, put whatever we want on them, and then just give people what they want, a little kit for you to make your own thing, similar to the first time you learned cloud and someone says, hey, you need to deploy this stack. You went looking for that set of YAML files mm -hmm. so you could Docker yeah. compose up or whatever it is that you want to do. What if we could do that for client? And it ends up, not only can you do it, but it works really great. So we ingest everything from Fedora for versions 37 and 38. And then people started to show up and said, hey, this is neat, but I like KDE and not GNOME. Well, you know, in cloud, like you make your little matrix, your little build matrix, we just picked a different set of packages mm -hmm. and I'm kind of relearning how to write multi-stage Docker files and things like <laughs> that. And while we're sitting there building it, we're not learning distribution specific tools, but we're just reusing our common cloud language uh, because making distributions is hard, right? Like at Ubuntu, you know, getting a change into distro, right? There's a lot of engineering and, and things that happen. And I didn't really want to make a distro because yeah. There's a lot of challenges that come with integration, a lot of testing that you have to do to make sure that all yeah. of the components work together, right? Right. And you don't want to fall into that trap, right? So we're like, well, if we know Fedora is going to do this, uh, but the feature isn't ready, but we can prototype now, wouldn't it be neat? Would it, could this actually work, right? Um, so we did. So we made KDE, GNOME. We made a few tallying window manager ones. We started to find all sorts of things in the Fedora archive where people were saying, I want this cool thing. I want this cool thing. And usually in Linux, when you're setting things up, hardware acceleration on my Intel 2-in-1, you go and you see instructions for how to enable that in your, in your Linuxes. And it's always a, a manual step. And on the other hand, you see how people just go to Best Buy and buy a Chromebook. They don't have to set up any of that stuff. So I said, couldn't we just grab all these web pages and just shove them in container files, the instructions to enable this and see what comes out the other end. And what came out the other end was a really nice operating system that just works and just boots because it's image based. And then we get to remove a lot of the complexity on the client for upgrades, disk upgrades, mm -hmm. adding PPAs, having to do depackage, reconfigure, 
a the rpm fusion thing was built for a module for the kernel that's a day old so i have to wait for the build system in the distro to catch up and all these kinds of things which are still problems but now they happen in our ci mm-hmm. right and then we can catch them but the end user always gets an image that works and all of a sudden they have the granularity to go back in time boot off the image you're not doing a snapshot backup restore it's literally booting off off that, an image so image. it's clean right this, this is kind of what the premise of clear linux was is that you know we do all, all of the integration on the compile time right so that you don't have to worry about you know the distribution hell of uh, dependencies right that's something so, i so did you- learn from Tim Pepper, who had he had worked on Clear Linux, yes. and uh, you know this was a long time. I've been I started to shop around the idea because I wanted to do it right. You know, like I I've learned enough, and I I've learned to take advantage of all the senior people that you know and ask them for advice. Mm-hmm. And you know, something he had always told me was the design. Clear Linux was designed to do a bunch of work client side, and then you want the package manager to just splat the disc and not, not do other stuff. Yeah. Right. Uh, but however, in kind of the traditional Linux land, it's all about packages, right. And your package manager, and that's what you're picking. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to know this stuff, you know? Um, but as I started to realize, as I was doing this as an advanced user who knew all this stuff, I don't want to do it either because no. one, one of the things <laughs> I've noticed is, you want to just you, you it's like starting a car. You just want to turn the key and have the car go. You don't want yeah, to be you know, I, I, putting I, I, a different I, set of wheels on every time you want to go to the I, store, right? I've done all of that already. I don't have to prove it to anything. You know, I was like, why? Why would I compile <laughs> my own kernel when you know Colin King? Like, <laughs> <you know? laughs> um, however, like in traditional Linux, there's this kind of bat. There's you know, uh oh, you know. Um, but yeah. we're supposed to be about packages and, and doing all that stuff, so, which I found was very interesting that the Linux desktop culture, I guess I would say, uh, still was very much entrenched in the, you know, the package, right? Meanwhile, I'm hanging out in Cloudland, and all the best Linux people that I look up to that are just absolute experts in this stuff, and they're all running Macs, right? Because they yeah. decided that getting that work done. Like they didn't have, they didn't have time for the Linux desktop. Yeah, that needs right? to be someone else's problem. Yeah. So I was like, wait a minute. So why don't, why don't, why don't we tackle it this way then? That's when I really started to think about the economics, right? Because if you look at it's just e-waste. So I, I live in Michigan. I live in Ann Arbor. The university of Michigan is here and they have a property disposition. You can get used computers and stuff and you go there and it's just pallets and pallets of, computers right and you start to think you start to have that kind of nerd thinking it's like well you know if i put my image on that thing i know it could do something i know it could it could be something great right and we know that people can use linux because they bought chromebooks and the great thing about chromebooks is they purposely don't mention linux at all right they Mm -hmm. It's yeah. invisible. So it's and irrelevant I, to the Chromebook user. Yeah. Right. And I think a lot of people get upset by that, right? Because, no, I want everyone to know that this is Linux. Steam, you know? Steam Tech's the same story, right? It's like it's put, it's made gaming on Linux a thing, even though right. people don't realize they're doing it. They yeah. just, like, right. I have my Steam account. 
I right. boot it up on the Steam Deck and no, it just works. No one cares really what the solution is as long as the problem is solved. At least right. for that for that user. Right. So if I can get you the reliability on a Chromebook of a Chromebook that can run on way more hardware because it's a generic Linux distribution and Fedora's been around forever, you could get just about anything on it. It comes with a container runtime. So anything that's not natively packaged, you're going to pull from your registry anyway. Could this actually work? You know, and then I've also kind of thought, well, the cloud model, like a lot of these, inf the infrastructure for this stuff is already being invested in, you know, like your, the, the registries are on edge already. Right. And if we can make the Linux desktop payload, just be another cloud payload, you know, could we bring the distribution costs down for people so that, you know, Linux has a, so this desktop can have a shot, you know, at, at, at being useful for someone. So that that's where I started to think, you know, if we can make this cheaper for people, if OEMs that ship Linux can use this model, can you imagine if you had a bug with your wireless driver and you go to the bug tracker to report it and we just have the bug trackers just generate, you know, the engineer has a patch. He thinks it might work. What if it was just a bootable image right now? I file an issue and it's George, can you bisect your, you, you know, uh, but if you got me an image, I can tell you whether it works or not, because that's how app developers in cloud work. What if we could bring that to the operating system? And I'm starting to think of all, <laughs> and then you start to think, man, you know, like all of these things, I'll give you an example, the out of tree, a new Intel cameras, someone uh, in Fedora, enabled those and then they put it in RPM fusion and things like that. But I can't get those in Fedora without following the instructions and things like that. Well, what if you could just have that on the image, right? And then the manufacturer and the OEM, they could figure that out, but I am on the image, you know, I mean, we could slipstream that in. What if we can bring that kind of tight feedback loop between OEMs, the customer and the distribution? Right. So then we started to think about, well, what we're doing here is taking the distribution model and make it more continuous delivery, which the distributions are already doing. But what if it could go all the way to the end, to the user? Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I, when I started to think about, you know, if, if distributions were more around this model, could that save a bunch? Could that save a bunch of people a bunch of money? I don't know. You know, but I know that the current the current uh, model isn't working. <laughs> the, <laughs> you know, I, I saw a news article the other day about um, a lot of the Chromebooks that schools have been buying at the beginning of COVID are now reaching their end of life mm. you know, mm -hmm. time frame now. So, you know, this is this is a great example of you know something that would never have been an issue if we'd gone down this road, right? Right, right. and and the great thing is about Chromebooks is they have a set use case, right? Mm -hmm. It is a reliable thing that you don't have to care about that has a browser and that's enough for just about everyone. And then on the admin side, that school IT admin needs a little GUI, yep. uh, right? But, uh, you know, we have tools like Cockpit, which I include in some of our images, which is the web, uh, the web UI that you can use to maintain stuff, right? Mm -hmm. there, that's that's a, a, a student could write you a plugin to help you manage mm -hmm. that stuff. So now we start to think about, you know, what, what devices and hardware do schools have, do, you know, NGOs have, and can we give them that model 
uh, but using general distributions that allows people to do what they want without the lockdown of a specific venture. So, so you've got you've got the. It's more than a proof of concept, right? It's it's a, yes. it's a working implementation. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where are you, where are you taking it? I have no idea. <laughs> what we're doing what we're doing now is so Fedora, Fedora is is you know we're duct taping stuff. You know it's it's good duct tape, uh, but at the end of the day, you know we're kind of just taking where Fedora wants to go and kind of seeing you know, maybe where it needs to go. What we have now is I think we have a good working concept of what a next generation Linux desktop would look like. And you mentioned the word immutable. I, I use the term image-based. I think mm -hmm. the market has determined, I like to tell people and people say, well, I don't know, immutable desktops sound kind of controversial and are you going to yeah, change yeah, people's yeah. minds? I was, I, I you know, the market the kind of decided at, there's exactly zero non-immutable Linuxes that are successful in the market, because yeah, that's, um, you kind of can't ship a non-in, you know, right, right. Like, yeah, why I, would you want to support that, you know? And, and yeah. people are doing that, right? But it's kind of the I'm a developer, so I will buy a developer laptop from an OEM that has traditional Fedora or System seventy six or or whatever yeah. thing. Like that does exist, right? But what if we can bring that reliability? of the Chromebook and you had mentioned clear Linux. A lot of the ideas that I started to come up with was clear Linux just says, you know what, we're going to do automatic updates, yep. you know? And if you go to any traditional Linux distribution and say, should we do automatic updates? They're going to argue about it for two years, yeah. you know? So, yeah. And then at some point someone says, you know what? I've never seen my dad talk about updates for his Chromebook or anything he that just happens uses the his computer he just uses it. He it on, yeah. right so you cover that use case but then you you know can you do the advanced can you do the advanced use case because in my brain i'm always like well i'm gonna if i have a container file that i can do whatever i want i'm gonna make the world's greatest unix workstation for myself so i started to add my cool stuff right uh and you all announced a, a new font intel mono I yes. copied into my Git repo, and the next day it was on every single one of my machines and all of my friends' machines because we made a developer <laughs> image with Visual Studio Code, oh, and it's got Homebrew cool. on it, and it's got the latest version of Python and Go, and we're just nerding out, and it lets people play and experiment, but they're doing it in an image-based workflow where you can experiment without accidentally putting yourself in a position where your computer doesn't boot which is a problem with traditional Linuxes that mm -hmm. it, it, we that tax. Nobody wants to pay that tax anymore. I don't yeah. think. Um, I love that you mentioned that actually, because I think that is, I think there's a gut rate response when you talk about immutable distros, which to be fair, I, um, I think I've only really started paying attention to, to the, this sort of ecosystem, if you want to call it mm -hmm. uh, in the last, I don't know, less than a year. But I, I think there is an initial like, but wait, don't, you know, nerds like to tinker nerds like, but, but of course, but of course you can, right. It doesn't actually yeah. mean you can't change things. It, it, there are, you know, it means something else, right. It's, yeah. So, yeah. I'm tinkering in CI and I'm learning what's really great is I've, I've had people say, I don't know. I like to tinker live and stuff. Right. But then when, when they start contributing but that's, to the that's project, we do the prototyping, right. This is what I want it to look like. Okay. Now I, 
put it in the CIA so that it's automatically right, pushed out. Right, or, or right. what I do is I, I just get too lazy and I just do it directly in GitHub. And then if the test pass, then I know I'll get it the next day on my, but, on my system. So, so for something like, you know, installing a font, you know, that's a very low risk change, right? I, yes. I, I, you know, I just wrote up the, how to do that for clear Linux uh, on the forums yesterday. Um, but if you did a more major change that would need testing on actual devices, do you have mm -hmm. like a, like a, um, like a canary channel that you use for people to do more risky changes yeah so right now our tag structure which is just you know stand, standard container tags we, we do like fedora colon 38 colon 37 so you could do that we do have a colon latest because some people even though it's not really yep. best i don't i don't want to get into that best practice but right now it's not ready and i'm more scared about leaving people behind on an old version but you know uh once fedora actually blesses this as stable what i do want to offer is a more diverse set of tags that lets people control the throttle i call it right. and uh, with our nvidia images especially because you have to compile those certain drivers for that kernel and there's a series of drivers we, that matrix is actually much more complicated but does solve a lot of problems that people have you're not compiling the gpu driver on your laptop you know, and, and waiting for that process to happen, which as we've, if you've used Linux for a while, you, you know that you don't want to be there, right? Ideally, what you want is you want to use a GPU that has drivers in the kernel and then you just, you just always get it the goodness. Works. Yeah. Right. Uh, but unfortunately people do have that stuff, right? So in, in my view, having those drivers on the image itself, you know, similar to those camera drivers gets people working hardware. It's not ideal but it gets people working, uh, working hardware. I don't in, in our brains, right. We're always thinking, wouldn't it be neat if we had like a test suite and labs and conform and all this stuff that you talk about when, when we are talking about CNCF projects? Uh, no, not currently, you know, we're it's just enthusiasts, uh, doing, doing, um, doing the thing. And then, so that, that's kind of where we were going to is like, let's get the operating system out of the way. Right. Let's 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 make that smooth. Let's reuse as much existing technology uh, that is funded, right? Because the reason OS tree and all, and all this core OS stuff is happening is because people buy OpenShift, right? Let's not, you know, let's yeah. not kid ourselves here. And uh, but I, I want the stuff for the desktop as well. So if I can piggyback on that, right? That's the first part. The second part ties into what I consider the biggest problem in open source today, and that's the economics of maintaining our open source projects and our people. Yes. Um, so regardless of what people say about flat hub, flat packs, right? You mentioned that in a group of engineers and you're going to have people talk for three days this way and that way, <laughs> right? Yes. And to that, I'm just responding with flat hub puts a button to pay that open source developer mm. on the UI. Mm -hmm. And whatever problems you might have with flat packs, we can probably fix it or at least get us to a spot where the priority should be is if you're using a system like this and you see a cool app and it's an open source app and you click a button and you can send that person some money to help us bootstrap and maintain a healthy ecosystem of 
open source and you have to have proprietary software support's going to have to come along too because you can't you have to do both um you know would that be would that be what we needed you know if if someone can have an idea for an app they can put that on the apple store or the google store and start making revenue immediately and open source maintainers don't have that right at best you'll find a patreon link or github sponsors for the people that bother to go to that page right so for me it's like lowering that cost but then giving open source developers the opportunity that all the other uh, developers have right that pick a platform like we don't have a linux desktop platform right but if you take a free desktop stack you shove it shove it into Flatpak, right and and see see what apps people can make you could do that right and then now not only do we have quote unquote a chromebook model right but now we have an avenue for open source developers to bring those native apps that they love to there and since the desktop now has a container runtime you get all the server stuff quote unquote for free mm-hmm. right so any of the technologies that you're reading about or whatever are now available to you and then you have a system there you can get all the browsers can this actually work as as a way to bootstrap the next generation of people uh, who are going to be the ones maintaining the kernel, Kubernetes, all of these things that kind of run the modern world. And we we have to figure that out as a community on how to make that sustainable as a whole. And it doesn't matter what company you work for, right? We're in the business of ecosystems here, right? And it's the environment. Uh, we all have to take care of the natural resources that are available to us. And for that, that's the people, right? Yeah, so, people. Yeah, so could could we do that? Right. So in my brain, after seeing, after playing with this stuff, I'm, I actually like believe that, you know, it's like, could we put things that look like Chromebooks that can do what Chromebooks can do with more, except all of those students could run a Kubernetes cluster and fire it up. And it would run great because there's no VM there. It's Linux, you know, and it would run great. And if they wanted to learn front end stuff, they have all the NPM stuff is there. If they want to learn Python and machine learning, they have it, you know, and could could that be the way to kind of bring that to end users, right? And that's a lot a lot of the stuff I'm talking about. The original I remember the first time someone explained to you what Ubuntu was is not just a Linux distribution, but what the idea of bringing that technology down to people, right? And make but making distros is hard, right? But now I can now we can leverage people that use uh, the technology every day. And for them, uh, universal blue is a simple concept, right? It, it pulls something from Git. It does Podman build on a cron and then it shoves it into a registry. Like it's not rocket science. The NVIDIA repo is, is, is pretty cool because that's doing kind of more sophisticated stuff. And the, the engineers that worked on that did a, a, a like a really, it's really cool. Um, and there are certainly cool things that we're doing, right? But at the end of the day, for most, from a, you know, a Kubernetes admin, was, you know, this is very simple for them, right? So if we can kind of use that expertise to, to bring people, to give people better clients, and then we could use those clients to get people better access to the technology, uh, will that work? And that's been the question that I've been asking myself 
when I started taking a break and it ended up being a sabbatical uh, because it's, it's been gnawing at me and, and not just me. This just happens to be the implementation that I stumbled across. I know lots of people who are working at you know, everyone in open source offices all across the industry are thinking about this exact same problem. Linux Foundation, CNCF, everybody's thinking about how do we get that next generation in? How do we ensure that they have the right tooling, the right training, the right kind of safe spaces, right? Like we finally learned that like yelling at each other doesn't, doesn't, you know, the first part of open that's, source that's is a lot of yelling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a whole other and, conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, could could that work? And you know, that's that's kind of I, as I started to do this, you know, and I have a son, he's six, you know, and I watch him use technology and things like that, and you kind of start to, you almost kind of start to believe it. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, um, I love the, all of the different angles you're bringing in on a conversation about sustainability, right? You're talking about. Yeah human sustainability, but you're also talking about, you know, the, the green definition, right? You, we talked about, you know, reusing low end hardware. Um, we, we, you know, we talked about all of those things, but you're also, you're also talking about, um, you know, the, the psychological sustainability mm -hmm. of being a maintainer in, in, in the current environment. I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about the, the problem as you see it and where it came from, right? We've all been around open source for a very long time here. Mm -hmm. And these conversations were different 10 or 15 years ago or longer, you know, these, these conversations were different. The, the world has changed. Obviously, you know, technology changes very quickly and, and, and that's a given, but, but it's not just that it's the way that we interact with it, the way that, the way that open source software is made, the culture around it, I, I feel like has changed. Mm -hmm. It was, it was a little bit scrappier and more DIY and more purist. I think when I entered the conversation than it is today. And, and again, the, the way Chris and I have talked about, you know, the, the uh, monolithic to microservices, right? Again, everything's mm. very specialized and you're in your, you're in this tiny little pocket and maybe you, you're not even aware of the larger ecosystem you're part of in a way. And I, I just wonder if you could kind of talk about your, the way you see the, especially the cloud native landscape evolving and how it may have contributed to sustainability problems that now you're talking about addressing. I, if, wow, that's really, yeah, that was a lot. Profound, I know, but, you, but to be statement. fair, <laughs> to be fair, you gave us a lot to go on. So I'm trying yeah. to unpack a lot of different yeah. threads at once. <laughs> well, I think you're touching on part of the reason I wanted to be on this show. And I've been trying, I've been like mailing every YouTuber I know and stuff is if there's one thing I think, having gone through the early phases, you know, Ubuntu when it was brown, the early phases and stuff, and, and the early days of Linux. Yeah, I can't even remember, by the way, what but, you said. Well, yeah. Remember the first time somebody, I don't remember the first <laughs> time somebody told me what Ubuntu was for. Yeah. It was so long ago. <laughs> Completely oh, gone. No, I've aged it was myself. brown though, I think. Yeah. No, it, it was brown. Yeah. Um, is I think at first you're just kind of like, this thing is so cool. We're going to take over the world. And we're going to spend most of our time arguing with people, telling them why this is yes. the best thing ever, right? Like uh, back in those days, like, like you had a yeah. Linux user group and you would go and you would have yeah, installed. Yeah, because that was still a conversation yeah. that had to be had yeah. before yeah. we won. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Cloud and Mobile happened. And then I think open source is, uh, it, you almost it, kind of 
it's Blink. shifted it's shifted from being its own thing to being just a part of the way software's developed now. Um, yeah. yeah. Nobody it, thinks about it in the same way at all. Yeah. And, and even the people working in it, the people making the open source software, they yeah. are in many cases so far removed from that original conversation. Yeah. Because again, I, this is just the way software is made. Yeah. And yeah. So we, we're now is. seeing a proliferation of, of, you know, like um, internal open source projects within corporations that mm-hmm. you know, never even see the light of day. Yeah. But I wonder yeah. how that contributes to the, all of this the sustainability issue. Because again, people are working in their in their little in their own little worlds. They're it's a little bit it's it's just it's such a different conversation. Yeah. And I think initially, like you think about it, I think when you look at when people look at technology, right? They, you know, war. It's like everything is a war, and you're, you're kind of thinking in that military, you know, we're gonna take over and As market like share. Android versus <laughs> iPhone. Yeah, you know, and, and everybody wants, you know, what's your favorite distro? And like, you yeah. know, uh, say something bad about Snap or whatever it is you want, you know, to get out of people. And then it ends up being you, you won the cultural war, right? and you don't know how to, like, all of a sudden. The, the, the questions are totally different, you know, and it, it becomes more of, and, and what I've learned in my cloud native journey is, you know, that's, that's what people call it mm-hmm. is it takes a village. That is the one thing I learned about Kubernetes is it takes a village. No one person or team can know anything mm-hmm. and things work a lot better when you get all the smart people together and then they figure out what should be commoditized, right? Because at the same time, we need companies to support open source. And in order to do that, they need to be competitive in the marketplace. So for them, the trick is how much of this stuff can be commoditized that we want to maintain along with everybody else, mm-hmm. right? But allow us to make the secret sauce that goes on top so we can compete with each other. So it's coopetition yes. in a way, <laughs> yes. right? But we need to ensure that that ecosystem, in this case, let me use Kubernetes as an example, right? Kubernetes needs to be healthy and we want uh, companies to be able to compete in that marketplace, right? But what we don't want to happen is the people and organizations that are contributing the most doing a bunch of the legwork and then people that aren't contributing the most being rewarded in the marketplace because they're not spending the money to then, invest yes, in open that source. Bleeding edge, yes. And we know, but, we know that we do not like that pattern. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we, see, be- we see a lot of friction internally of, you know, people not wanting to go down the open source route because, mm-hmm. you know, they're very concerned that they're going to lift all boats. And it's like, well, no, then you make the total available market bigger. It's good for everyone. Right. Right. But it's like, right. no, we can't help the competition, you know? Right. And, and a, a lot of this stuff is organizational and people wise, right? If, if you, if I was working in the perfect organization that doesn't exist, right? Open source internally as would be a no brainer. We're going to lift all boats and we're going to, we're going to rock it because we're agile and we know how to ship product and we know how to put stuff together faster than anybody else. Right. But you know, what, what can happen, what people are afraid of is we're going to invest in doing it the right way, which sometimes takes longer because investing and doing open source correctly is the harder road. But it's better long term. However, you do see it when companies are doing it right, and then a competitor comes along doing half as much work, and then you yeah. know gets right the bulk the of the pie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know. So, in 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 many ways, that's why we need to ensure that the rules around that ecosystem are fair, and that's where I think the challenge is because 
that is going to be the crux point of bringing in those new contributors, but they also need to understand uh, when you're wearing your ecosystem hat and when you're wearing your work hat. And I also think that it took time and we didn't have time in the early on because we are now getting to the point where, uh, you know, people are cycling out, they're retiring, you know, um, and before it was the early Linux that you kind of knew everybody and everybody was kind of in the same place. Mm -hmm. Now we've gone through that generational set of learning where we can sit there and say, you know, at some point, all of us are going to end up working for all of the affiliations anyway. So <laughs> your relationship as an engineer, as a professional is to be that, here's how I see it, right? I, I, I've worked for companies that have been friends and competed against each other, and I'm not the only one, right? But when it comes to the maintenance and health of this project, I'm expected to, you know, to put the needs of that project first, you know, it's and it's commitment as a long-time commitment and it's consistent commitment. Exactly. Exactly. And I think what you will find is in the projects that are run well and are successful is you see that kind of stewardship of those projects, even if the, whatever happens with the affiliations in the background kind of become, that's important to some people. But not to us when we our job is to is to ship Kubernetes that day or, or whatever project it is. Yeah. It's a, it's important to the hosting company that they had <laughs> they have the right number of people in the right number of projects, right? Exactly, exactly. And one of the things I'm excited about and sharing more with people is how do we internally, you know, having seen Ospo's work, how do we internally sell as engine? I think the engineering aspect is solved. I think you can say open source as far as an engineering principle or whatever. If, sure, if you're yeah, in infrastructure sure. and cloud. <laughs> we know we've won. We have to convince everyone else we won. Yeah. Yes, yes, well, yes. We I think we convinced the engineers. Oh, the engineers, right? yes. It's, it's upper management and the bean counters. The bean counters is yeah. there. Like, for example, like, I, 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 you know, it's like, well, we could be investing in the open source. Yeah, but that is a long-term investment. And sometimes... Yeah, you know, due to the way companies are structured, they're they're kind of just caring about that quarter. Yeah, you know, and and it becomes an investment of open source and a long term thing that is hard for organizations to ingest and justify unless you have that organizational knowledge, or you've been burned in the past, hmm. where you've learned to, you know, maybe it is important for us to invest. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have to convince Intel that, you know. Working oh, no, on the Linux kernel is a good idea <laughs> from an engineering perspective, yeah. you know, but not, not everybody has gone through that institutional knowledge where it takes to, you know, Hey, we were shipping hardware. Software is an important part of that now, you know? Um, Without and software, that's, that's, sad. that's what actually keeps me up at <laughs> oh, night. Oh, I like it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, like, so like, you convince the engineers, but can you convince the bean counters that, you know, when they go to KubeCon and they see all this stuff, right? Are they going back and saying, man, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that we didn't have to do this for ourselves. You should see, you know, in, in a way, open source is like an extra IT team that works for your business. Oh, do they see yeah. us that way? 
how much right? burden oh. is relieved right. by you know this, the upstream contribution? That's that's mm-hmm. such an important piece that that people need to understand. Right. Um, so I wonder. Okay. So a couple things. Get us back on track. So many things. There are so <laughs> many things here. Okay. First of all, so so I want to just first. So one of my smartest friends, thanks Kyle, uh, <laughs> tells me, oh, the work that George is doing right now, this is the future of Linux. <laughs> this is the future well, of Linux. Know. So exciting, right? Yeah. So so is it, or do you see this as part of a part I of think... a landscape that's evolving, but, or it's just a, a section? Or is this is this the way we're going to do stuff? I think on client, this is the present. And I, you know, I, I want to be clear that I'm not, you know, I didn't invent any of this, you know? Right. Um, a lot of organizations are working on this. I'm, I'm using Fedora Silverblue as an example because that's, mm-hmm. you know, that that happens to be the tech that I got comfortable with, and by them choosing that cloud native approach made it very easy. OpenSUSE is doing a similar cloud native model, but they're using ButterFS snapshots, and you know, Clear Linux is, as we've talked about before. You know, everything that I am talking about here can apply to that, other than the OCI thing. But you're smart. <laughs> right? Like you, you, like, you know, it's more of the, can we talk about the model? You know, I think if, if you were to go to a traditional, if I were to go it's to scale, right. Mm-hmm. And give a talk about this is just the future of the Linux desktop. I don't think that's the right way to look at it. I look at it as this is the present, right? Chromebooks have been out for a very long time. It is obvious to me that the market has chosen to not choose traditional Linux. Um, but the model is here. The technology is here. We know Linux is capable of doing these things. Hardware is so much better now. Like I can buy, not only can I buy a laptop that works with Linux, I could choose one from multiple vendors, right? With multiple components. And a lot of those companies have great Linux stories and are, are doing the work, right? We're nerds. So we're always kind of, well, except that one model number <laughs> that I don't like. You know, um, so we know that the hardware is there and that, that was the hard part, right? Like, um, you know, we, we had seen, remember netbooks early pre, pre iPads, right? Like, you know, like, and the hardware is just so much better now, you know, but we, the software element was missing, I feel to get us to that level of reliability that the users are kind of, the, the users are demanding this. I think a lot of this is just cultural Linux isms that we have to get over. You know, we just have to get over it and we have to figure out how to get people there. And part of the reason I am doing the project is if you had to learn how to set all this up by yourself, you'd, you'd give up, you know, but now that I have the ability to push this into get in a container file, this opens this up for a lot more people, you know, and that, I'm trying it. Um, uh, we we decided we were going to try it because at first it was it was this is going to be a passion project. Have you know have set expectations of what it's going to be, you know. But you see someone struggle getting an NVIDIA driver working on their on their laptop, and this is this is the <laughs> this is the only thing they have, you know. And in you know if we can provide value for that, then and if we can provide value for Fedora to show them that their investment in this technology, even though they started it off, you know, for server and cloud, if we make it all the same and it's all edge, 
you can kind of sort of solve another problem also. And it's sure, neat. yeah. I mean, as a yeah. developer, a former a developer in a former life, that that yeah. that that part of it is so appealing, you know, right? Yeah, reproduce it. the consistency, the consistency element. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, so before I, we we've been going almost fifty minutes, <laughs> which is yeah. Awesome. I told you you were going to get editing. the George Castro. I'm not editing I apologize. anything. It's all going in. <laughs> this is gold right yeah. here. Did the cow tell you how much I talk? Delicious gold. <laughs> Um, we lost, but we I did want to full podcast, yeah. yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Slice but it I, I want to get get to the the cloud native, the the CNCF thing, right? Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Let's let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. So I think okay. So we're we're participants. We're big fans. CNCF around here. Mm-hmm. Um, t- t- tell us tell us about that organization and 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 tell us uh, where you fit in. Yeah, so I'm hoping to start here next next Monday. Actually, Um, (laughs) my my sabbatical my sabbatical is coming to an end, right? Like Universal Blue is a great project, and it's sustainable now because it was designed by SREs. So (laughs) always a good sign, you know. uh, I'm hoping to change two numbers every six months and call it a day. And um, but as I've been doing this, it has exercised those muscles to think about this kind of stuff a lot. You know, and it also reminded me that um, we need to copy, copy and paste the model across more organizations. So one of the great things about the CNCF is there's a lot of stuff there, right? And one of the bad things about the CNCF landscape is there's a lot of stuff there <laughs> and you don't right? like Kubernetes is, is kind of like the operating system ish, I guess the, the kind of center. Right. And the you engine, have all the other the engine, projects like engine that drives it. Yeah. Right. You know, and a lot of the stuff runs on top of Kubernetes. Right. So how do we take those processes and use that in as many projects as possible? Right. Cause Kubernetes was large. It was important by the time I got there, like it was already successful, you know, like there was, there was no, there was no day where it was like, wow, we were going to, we we're going to fail until George showed up. Like that never, <laughs> that never happened a problem. Right. But I have worked in smaller CNCF projects like cloud custodian, where it's mostly a single maintainer Kapil just trying to do a day job, be a CTO at a startup and run an open source project in the side. And we've been stuck in incubation forever or sandbox forever. And we're trying to move to incubation and you're filling out all the paperwork, but unlike Kubernetes, you don't have six full-time community managers helping you out. And then you start to realize, wow, for all this talk about code reuse and, and how smart we are in cloud and here, here I am doing it the hard way. Uh, So that's what I'm excited. That's, that's a problem I want to fix. Like that is like, you know, there's just templates, even something as simple as, uh, you know, do you have all the information in your README for your project? You know, one, one of the things I've learned is at the bottom of your README, you know, put the link to your mailing list, your channel, yes. and you talk to a lot of people and, and they get this, they know this, right? But then you also end up something, seeing something really cool and you have no idea where to go from there. And you're kind of wish, uh, then you run into the other problem with open source maintenance. Oh, I'd love to help them out and just like do all this stuff. But I've got my own problems. The the other issue I don't I think we have generationally is at first it was so simple. We have Linux, Apache, MySQL, and PHP and Python done. 
right? Now, not only do we have tools, we have multiple copies of tools. And then every time there's a new language, those tools double again because everyone's going to re like now we have everything in rust <laughs> right you know and and the amount the explosion you can't put that genie back in the bottle um so now it becomes a people problem again and it's how do we how do you run an open source project how do you you know how do you handle your first pr where you can tell that someone didn't read the documentation and your project isn't really going in that direction but now you have that awkward awkward conversation. If I would have just written that down in my contributor guide, set expectations, I wouldn't be in this mess. Right. I know those lessons and I keep making the same mistakes over and over again because I'm a human being. So those are the conversations that I think maintainers should be having amongst themselves. And it needs to be in a place that can be the honest place where we're talking about open source and isn't yeah, um, isn't where the bean counters are around. Like we have, we have to do the nerd. Like it's it's the community home lab, the community home lab. At that point, like no embarrassment. Oh, you know, like I had to do something really bad to get this thing to work. Look oh, at how boy. horrible this is. Isn't it amazing? Like you have to have those safe conversations in an environment where you can, you know you can tell another open source maintainer, yeah, I, I tried to do this with that toolkit. Here's what I've learned you know, and having those kind of shared best practices around not just the engineering, but I had at first when I was doing the project, I was all about uh, getting eyeballs on it. Right. As I was struggling, you're doing the open source thing and you're struggling. I need to get more eyeballs on this. And my friend Marco was like, if you had 30,000 eyeballs right now, this would be a disaster right? because you haven't written, we haven't written down the docs yet. You know, mm-hmm. and we've, how many times have you heard write docs all the time, right? But yeah. you just get caught, so caught up in the excitement. One user shows up, right? And it's my laptop didn't work and finally got it to work. Thank you. And Everyone you get so caught up. Yep. Yeah. That you, you kind of forget to do the e- eating your vegetables. Human part. Yeah. You got to <laughs> eat your vegetables. Um, so, you know, now that I've kind of gone through that on my side project, and one of the nice things about doing it in a side project is, you know, you can make mistakes and not be like in trouble at work because, <laughs> you know, because you made a mistake. And, and that's where I kind of started to think, could we, could, could we um, bring these kind of lessons that people are having, you know, and how can I help connect those maintainers to each other in a way that helps them understand, you know, um, hey, we're having we're having an issue with this bit of of thing that we have to set up for our project. Every project has, you know, what 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 software do we use to to enable our communities? Right? Yeah. Are you picking discourse? Are you going with mailing list? Like you could have podcasts for days on this kind of tooling, right? Yeah, and, we could. We should actually. That's and you you can go on the internet and get all sorts of stuff. But it could also be more efficient if you're talking to people who are maintainers just like you are that have gone through that process and it kind of filter out, uh, you know, and kind of be like, well, what, what would, what do my other compatriots that are in the field doing, right? It becomes more of a, um, 
I can watch an F1 race, right? And figure out how they're driving, right? But the conversations that the drivers have between each other on how they take turn six or whatever is totally different from what us yeah. fans see, right? So oh, I love that analogy. Right. So we, we want open source maintainers to be able to have high bandwidth, low noise conversations that are about tooling or uh, a bit of open source governance, right? We didn't, we didn't even touch on, we didn't even touch governance. That is an entire sphere of things, you know? So, so how do I, I, you know, knowing that we, it takes a village, how do we get all of these expertise for these different areas, you know, around a common place where they can, they can talk about it and it's no, no, no stress about, well, there's always going to be stress, but in, you know, there's something to be said where it's like, I'm kind of struggling with this part in my project. Here's a room of other people struggling. Let's hug it out. You know, and, and as I think as we've seen so far, the village is doing a pretty good job. You know, as, as self-critical as we are about the, the issues that we have about supply chain security and all of that stuff and and yeah. all of that, you know, uh, we should also be proud of the kind of anthropological uh, successes that open source has had as a group of people that are trying to fix. I mean, modern society is complicated. You know, the, the level of technology that we're using is incredible compared to, you know, just a few short years ago. So, so that's where I'm at. <laughs> you know, yeah, I want more I like and I yeah. want to make it faster. So I think everything that you've said is basically a reminder that software is made by people <laughs> and there's yeah. this human element and we right. have to be, we, you know, we can talk all, all day long about, about the technical thing, but it's, it's not actually yet made by machines. I mean, it will yeah. be, but you still are going to have people <laughs> somewhere in the equation. Right. And there's all that human work and all of that stuff yeah. that goes into it. And, and, and I mean, everything, again, everything we've talked about for the, for the past hour has been, uh, it goes back to the fact that it, it's the human work. It's, you know, it's the human conversation. It's, it's, it's the human interaction. It's the human documentation. It's all yeah. of these things yeah. that, that go into these projects. And I think what I hear you saying is that you see the role of, for example, the CNCF is really trying to help fix quote unquote, you know, the quote unquote problem with open source that isn't really a problem with open source, but um, yeah, yeah. There, because to grease the wheels, you want to grease the wheels. Yes, there yeah. is a yeah a human yeah. element that needs to be addressed. That maybe an organization like that is empowered, or at least um, positioned well. Yeah, do. and one uh, one last point is the the, the software here is so important, right? Yeah. Like, there's someone the out there is going to tell you no matter what, the Linux kernel will be taken care of because you know. Humans, there'd be zombies tomorrow if the Linux kernel didn't work, yep. right? But we could also do it in a way that's really fun and good for people, right? Like if it was like, I work on a thing that is important, but it's not a lot of fun. Like you wouldn't want to do that. Like I think you want to, you want people to be excited about the stuff that they work on and and, and not have having gone through that open source burnout that I, we know we didn't talk about this, but we know people struggle with. Sure. Right. And, and fixing those problems and, and understanding them 
outside of an engineering aspect is I, I think a point yeah. that, that we should talk about in a future episode. Uh, yeah. Cause that is an entire, entirely the different title. thing. Yeah. Human like, problem. Yeah. It's not, it's not good <laughs> enough that the stuff is maintained. Those people need to, they need to feel like they're, they're doing something awesome. You know, they yeah. need to, you know, it's a nerd version of F1. <laughs> <laughs> you know, show me, show me the spectacle of, of open source development. That's what I want to see. There's the tag for the podcast, Catherine. Yeah. <laughs> the nerd version of F1. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. Oh, this has been so good. We're going to have to do a follow-up for sure. We have barely scratched the surface, I want to say, on all of the wonderful uh, things that we just brought up. And I have so much to think about and so much to talk about. I would love to have this conversation with with many people and probably you again. And I thank you very much, George, for being here. And thank you so much, Chris, for, for joining me and having fun. <laughs> That's been a lot of fun. Um, yes. and any excuse to hang out with Chris virtually is, is, is a bit of my book. So yeah, so thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening um, if you have any feedback, uh, where, where can people find you? I'm at Castro J O at on Twitter and at George at hacky on Mastodon. I'll give you all awesome. the, all the links and stuff later. And I, I always will talk about this stuff. Like if, if you, if, if you want to do that or you're at KubeCon, I'll be hitting the road here, going to DevOps days and things like that. If you want to talk about this stuff and you're passionate about it. Um, I need your help. We all need each other's help. So thank you. And try Universal Blue. It's pretty cool. There it is. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks. Keep the conversation going.